is going to be an action-packed 60 minutes. Sit back and enjoy it, everyone. Good evening from the beautiful and palatial UltimateSportsTalk.com radio studios. I'm Dave Mitchell. Welcome to the Ultimate Sports Talk show. Boy, we have got a lot going on this evening. Believe me, this is the biggest Thursday night ever. Tonight is gigantic. It's stupendous. You've got four teams out of the top 25. Forget the 25. It's out of the top 10 in college football playing tonight on Fox and ESPN. And these games have a direct correlation as to what's going to happen to the Ohio State Buckeyes and their quest for a national championship this year. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. You can talk to us this evening via the social media simply by emailing us at dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or you can send us a tweet at ohbbcohost. Of course, with college football being the main story tonight, Ohio State has won 21 in a row, and they're off this week. But as I said, this weekend just might be the biggest weekend in correlation to Ohio State football in maybe 20 years. There are three new managers also entering the scene in the baseball world today. There's a very special good, the bad, and the ugly tonight, plus, of course, the dilemma going on in Miami. But first, who do you think ESPN would like to see in the national championship game? I mean, let's take a look at what's going on in college football right now. You have got the Rose Bowl on ESPN on January 1st. Then you've got the national championship game coming up a week later, also on ESPN. You also have ESPN that has a financial stake in the ACC network and the SEC network. And who are the first and second teams in the BCS poll this week, which, by the way, is also on ESPN every Sunday night at 8.30, announcing their findings. Alabama, number one out of the SEC. Florida State, number two out of the ACC. Then the number three team, well, that's Oregon. And number four, Ohio State. Then, in the top ten of the BCS rankings this week, it's Stanford, Baylor, Clemson, Missouri, Auburn, and Oklahoma. And when you look at this, don't you think that it would be a ratings extravaganza for ESPN, your entertainment, sports, network, programming station that has both the BCS championship game and the Rose Bowl? Wouldn't it be a ratings extravaganza to have Ohio State play Oregon in the Rose Bowl, the traditional Big Ten, Pac-10, Pac-12 champions in the Rose Bowl? What a headline marquee matchup that would be. The Ohio State Buckeyes, winners of, could be 24 in a row when it comes into that ballgame, against Oregon, the high-flying Ducks, the highest-scoring team in the land, against a high-flying Ohio State Buckeye team. Hey, that would be a great ratings grabber. 
for ESPN in the Rose Bowl, wouldn't it? And then the following week, hey, they would get their dream matchup. Florida State out of the ACC against Alabama out of the SEC. What a matchup that would be, according to ESPN. They would be able to walk into there and say to their spot sellers, their salesmen, hey, this is what we're going to do. Look at what we've got. We've got the top four teams in the nation on ESPN in the two greatest bowl games. The national championship game being held in the Rose Bowl and the Rose Bowl game. The greatest venue in all of college football in Pasadena. And it's going to be on ESPN and you've got the four best teams in college football playing in those two games. What a salesman's dream for ESPN. But, again, all that could be screwed up tonight because four of the top ten BCS teams are in action. Tonight, you have got the Oregon Ducks traveling to Stanford to take on the Stanford Cardinal. That is going to be one outstanding ball game. Stanford beat them last year. Oregon unbeaten. Oregon needs this win. So does Stanford. And Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports takes a look at this matchup tonight at 9 o'clock on ESPN. Despite the results, what you might think might happen, Stanford has absolutely cracked the code on, on Oregon, how to slow them down. They will slow them down in this game. They did in Eugene last year by holding the ball in the, and attacking them on the outside so they couldn't turn the corner. I'm still picking Oregon to win. Uh, obviously, Stanford has a huge loss on defense with Ben Gardner, the defensive end out with a pectoral muscle tear. Um, and then Oregon will win the game. I just think Stanford has an ability to make this very interesting and way under the number at ten and a half. And for those who think Stanford has a superior defense, look this up today. Stanford 27th nationally, Oregon 25th nationally in defense. They're separated by six yards per game. And if you want the hidden stat, because nobody knows if stat exists, first down offense, guys, uh, it measures the number of first downs you get. Uh, Oregon is eighth in first down offense, which translates to 35% of their plays go for first downs. Stanford 109th, 21.7%. So that probably reflects Clear offense. I think Clear offense is going to put down just enough to win this game. Well, Oregon, as I said, they're 8-0 coming in against Stanford in this ballgame. And Stanford, well, they have got one loss this season, and they are 7-1. and This game means a lot to the Pac-12 championship, but it also means a lot to the national championship. This game is on at 9 o'clock tonight in Stanford on ESPN. But coming up in just about... Oh, a few minutes from now, at 7.30 this evening, the other big game tonight on Thursday night for you college football fans, hey, just call in sick tomorrow because these two ball games are going to keep you up late tonight. Oklahoma travels to Baylor. Oklahoma, number 10 in the BCS standings. Baylor is number 6. Baylor unbeaten, 7-0, and and they're going to be playing on Fox tonight at 7.30 entertaining the Oklahoma Sooners. And Jeremy Fowler of CBS Sports examines this ballgame and says, 
Baylor's ready to handle the big time and the Sooner defense. Bob Stoops is the evil Baylor sorcerer. Since 1999, Stoops is 13-1 against Baylor. He's dominated this series. However, he's probably going to go 13-2 at this point. Despite the physicality of their defense, Mike Stoops has more to work with this year than he did last year. He can disguise coverages. However, with Baylor, quarterback Bryce Petty at his disposal has three playmakers with over 800 yards. So if you try to stop Tevin Reese, he can go to Antoine Goodley on the outside. You try to stop Goodley, you pound it through the middle with Lake Seastrunk. Too many options that play at a high caliber uh, for you to try to stop. You take away one thing, they'll, they'll get you in the other area. Key for Baylor will be winning one-on-one -on -one matchups on the outside. Oklahoma's pretty good at that. For the most part, they can limit big plays. Baylor thrives off big plays, and they're going to need it to break up the game a little bit because Oklahoma's going to try to play keep away and slow it down, I assume, try to keep Baylor off the field. But the Bears at home is key. They're, they play tough at Floyd Casey. If this was on the road, I'd feel a little differently about Oklahoma. Well, as Fowler says, Baylor is known for their offense. They've put up 70 points in three games this year, 69 in another game. They are an outstanding offensive ball club. But Bob Stoops, the head coach of Oklahoma, says, hey, Baylor's not a bad defensive ball club. They are in the top uh, few in the league in about every defensive category and and even nationally. And, uh, and, and not surprising when you look to have, I believe, it's seven seniors on their defense. So uh, they're doing an excellent job that way as well. Uh, got big play guys, um, uh, special team wise. So anyway, so it's a big challenge for us. We, we recognize that, but uh, everybody's working towards it and excited uh, for Thursday. They still pick their spots where they're gonna they're gonna come after you with all out blitzes and and pressure you. And definitely, it's something that we've we've been working on. And hopefully, you know, sometimes you can take advantage of. Meanwhile, to Baylor's head football coach Art Bryles. He's trying to convince everyone that he's preparing for this ball game just like any other. But really, is he? When we look at the schedule, you know, in, in August, I mean, we see West Virginia. You know, we see Iowa State. We see Kansas State. We see Kansas. We see Oklahoma. You know, and then it stops, you know, because we just play one game at a time. And this this is our game this week. It just happens to be uh, – bigger because of the way they performed, the way we performed up to this point. Uh, but, you know, there's a good possibility there will be bigger ones. So we just got to take care of business this, this Thursday. They've been doing it a long time and doing it right a long time, and, um, you know, they get really good people. Uh, so, you know, there's, it'll, it'll be a, uh, you know, good test for us from an offensive standpoint. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Hey, Coach Bryles, you may be able to convince your school of that, your team of that, but you're not going to convince a national TV audience that this game against Oklahoma is just like any other. Oklahoma and Baylor in just a few minutes. That's on Fox. Now, those are the two games that are going on tonight. But on Saturday, Saturday night more specifically, again, it's that Bayou brawl because number one, Alabama, 8 no will entertain LSU, and that will be at 8 o'clock. Alabama will be hosting that game. And CBS Sports' Dennis Dodd says the LSU Tigers have a shot, but really don't expect them to win. Absolutely have a shot. Uh, this isn't going to be a 9-6 to six game. 
Uh, Zach Mettenberger has made himself into a draft candidate. They've got maybe the best set of receivers in um, in, in the SEC and, and maybe the country. And Jeremy Hill seems to run downhill a lot to me, uh, and that, that's understating him. Uh, so that's a perfect matchup to control the ball against Alabama. And by the way, this to me, this line is way out of line. The last five meetings, and this is with the 21 to nothing beatdown in the national championship game. The last five meetings have been decided by a total of 40 points. That's eight points, you know, putting in that 21 to nothing game. This has become a, a definitive game the last four or five years in the, in the in the season. You know, we can't go on without paying attention to this game. Now it's lost. It's lost a little bit of a. Uh, you know, of oomph this year because LSU's lost twice. But I, I don't think no, the biggest thing is I don't think Alabama can survive another November loss like it has the last two seasons to a two-loss LSU and win the national championship. Forget about Texas A&M. This is the game for Alabama, mainly because Nick Saban used to coach LSU. And Saban says his team and he himself are ready for a fight on Saturday night. This is not the kind of game that anybody could not get excited about playing in. Um, obviously, this rivalry in the last, you know, few years has always, you know, meant a lot to um, whether it's national rankings, SEC West, uh, very meaningful game, uh, two really good programs, really good teams. Uh, you know, LSU, I think, is one of the best programs in the country in terms of the quality of players they have, the great job that their coaches do in developing those players, and uh, also how they play and how they compete. I think the thing that we can control here is to try to get our players to play the best that they can play, do the best job they possibly can in every game that we play, and focus on the things that they need to do to play You know, winning football against some very good football teams that we have to play against coming up down the stretch here. Um, and you know, that's what we're going to try to focus on uh, and, you know, understand that, you know, we, we sort of determine, you know, what we do. So how about let's focus on what we do to try to make that happen for us in a positive way. I can only tell you that every one of these games we play with these guys has been very, very physical. Uh, and, you know, it's a little bit like a heavyweight fight. And you certainly can't, you know, fade in any round. And, of course, this is going to be a fight. Alabama, LSU, Saturday night, 8 o'clock on CBS. Here's a look at the schools that are off in the top 25. Of course, as I said, right at the top, the Buckeyes have won 21 in a row. They're just one away from the school record, and they're off this week. They've got two more regular season games left. That's with Indiana next week and then Michigan. Also off in the top 25, Clemson. South Carolina, Michigan State, and Northern Illinois. But here's a look at the games on Saturday. Number three, Florida State will be at Wake Forest to take on the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Auburn is at Tennessee. It will be Missouri at Kentucky. Texas A&M entertains Mississippi State. Florida will be at South Carolina. It's Miami of Florida entertaining Virginia Tech. Oklahoma State will be at Kansas. It's UCLA at Arizona. Fresno State goes to Wyoming. It's the University of Central Florida Knights going to Texas to take on Houston. Louisville will be at Connecticut. Brigham Young goes to Wisconsin. 
Also, it will be Arizona State at Utah. Notre Dame goes to Pittsburgh. And rounding out the top 25, it's Texas Tech entertaining Kansas State. Let's switch over to professional football for a few minutes here at the UltimateSportsTalk.com radio network. Well, what in the world is going on in Miami? And what in the world is happening to our journalists around the country? The Miami Dolphins saga with Richie Incognito and Jonathan Martin escalated yesterday and today as the players rose to the locker room defense of Incognito and questioned the motives of Martin, the alleged harassment victim, according to the media. Now, keep in mind, even during this entire scenario that's been going on since last Friday, no proof of any harassment has come to light as of yet. Yes, there is some voicemails. There are texts, but they prove nothing. They are taken out of context so far. They have not proven anything. You have to remember that. Now, Martin, a second-year offensive tackle from Stanford, left the team last week amid allegations only of bullying and racist and threatening emails from Incognito, a ninth-year offensive guard. Now, bullying is a problem in America today. There's no doubt. Bullying has always been a problem. When I was growing up, bullying happened. You popped the guy in the nose, or you just let it happen. Lunch money was always being taken. Now, of course, as things happen, it always escalates, and that's what's happened in this situation. Now, also, there have always been locker room shenanigans. There's always been what you would call initiation. When freshmen come into high school, there's always initiations. Now, back when I was in school, it, you used to get your head dunked in the toilet. The, they would flush the toilet on your head, and, and that would be it. Some people get stuffed into the locker. There are several things that used to happen, but now... You know, bullying and initiations have really taken a turn for the worse. And and that's what's going on. You know, I know of a couple instances in schools here in Ohio where you get some people that may be overweight and they just get picked on constantly and constantly. And I've known of an instance where one girl was picked on so much she changed schools and it drove her to lose weight, and now she's a beauty queen. Also, I've seen other instances where not only locker room shenanigans, but locker room bullying, where certain players on teams around the state of Ohio actually get picked on to the point where they actually want to quit or they don't want to play the game any longer. And that just can't happen. Well, back to this incident. According to teammates who spoke out yesterday, Incognito and Martin were actually best buddies. Yet, the media right now is portraying Incognito as a bully, a dirty player, controversial. They're bringing up his past. They're bringing up his dismissal from Oregon, his dismissal from Nebraska, his suspensions, all the things that happened nine, ten years ago. 
They're also saying that he should never be allowed in the league again. Well, quarterback Ryan Tannehill of the Dolphins said, if you ask Jonathan Martin, who his best friend is on this team two weeks ago, he would have said, Richie Incognito. And Tannehill said that to reporters yesterday. He also added that it's tough for the team to sit and hear all that we have to listen to when we have each other's backs. Now, that's what other teammates tried to do Wednesday in support of Incognito. Listen to some of the comments from Miami Dolphins players yesterday. First of all, Tyson Clay, then former Ohio State receiver Brian Hartline, and finally, defensive tackle Cameron Wake. Richie didn't treat Jonathan any differently than he treated anyone else. He treated everyone the same. A teammate. And uh, I haven't been here very long. I've been here long enough to see that that uh, if there was a problem, uh, Jonathan Martin didn't show it. And I've been here long enough to know that off the field that those two guys were thick as thieves and that they went out together and they hung out together. They did a lot of stuff together. So if he had a problem with the way that that guy was treating him, he had a funny way of showing it. You know, what's perceived is that Richie's this psychopath, racist, maniac, right? And uh, the reality is that Richie was a pretty good teammate and that Richie and Jonathan Martin were friends. You know, Richie is a guy that is purely having his past haunt him right now. It's the only thing, it's all that's happening. I think that he's a guy that I enjoy hanging out with. He's a guy that I trust. And he's a guy, if I'm building a football team, I want in the locker room. So um, to have anything other besides that, <clears throat> it's obviously the Richie I never knew because I came here in 09 and he came after that. And I don't know anything but the guy I've seen in the last three years. You know, and, and to hear some things about, you know, what's not going on here, what is going on here, you know, it, it's, it's unfortunate, it's wrong, it's ridiculous, and uh, it's hard to hear, but um, the whole situation is unfortunate. But I know one thing that I do know, and, and that is the type of guys we have around us, the type of guys, they're professional, um, they're well above board, and um, it's, it's sad to hear people try to say anything but the. Many of the Dolphin players are finding it difficult to believe the harassment was so intense that Martin felt he needed to leave. So many stories have come to light since Martin's representatives turned over to the Dolphins in the NFL the voicemail from Incognito to Martin with the racially charged threats. Now, we all remember what happened in preseason when Riley Cooper, the wide receiver of the Philadelphia Eagles, was heard on tape to be using the N-word and how he was going to beat them up and how out of control everything got as far as how the media covered that story. It went on for two weeks almost nonstop. This has not gained that kind of notoriety, but it's gained the notoriety of bullying. However, now, because of that voicemail, today there are reports that Martin actually played this tape for the team in the locker room about a month ago, and everyone laughed about it. Still, according to the media, Incognito is the villain, even though we have not heard a peep out of Martin as far as what he has to say about the situation. Now, Jarrett Bell is a writer for USA Today, and I'm going to play you this piece of him examining this issue and what I consider to be what Bell is doing 
turning a blind eye to finding out the truth. Just listen to what he has to say. Well, I think this could be a real watershed moment for the Miami Dolphins under this regime with Coach Joe Philbin, who's in his second year, because either the locker room is going to rally around this or it potentially could become divided by an issue like this. One thing for certain, Richie Incognito will not be a part of the Dolphins, and I think the one thing that the players who are going to remain are really going to have to take stock of is how the leadership plays out inside the locker room. We know about hazing, rookie hazing. It's been going on for decades in the NFL. And in some situations, even that can get out of hand. We've heard stories of players having to take the veterans out for dinner and having $30,000 dinner tabs and things of that nature. So it can get out of hand on a lot of different levels. But for a threat to be so explicit and according to the reports, and there are a lot of layers out there that probably are still going to be unveiled in this. It's definitely a case for the ages. One thing we know for sure for Richie Incognito is that his tenure with the Dolphins is over. Will he get a job in the NFL elsewhere? I would never say never because if you think about the NFL, it's about winning, and it's also a culture that, frankly, allows for second chances for players. And you can look at a lot of players. Michael Vick comes to mind with the situation coming out of prison for dog fighting, but so many other cases in the NFL where players have been accused and actually even convicted of some heinous situations, and they get second chances. So I wouldn't close the books on Richie Incognito right now, but as this story has unfolded, several people from other teams have come out and said, hey, we didn't even want to draft this guy a few years ago because we saw problems. And even going back to Nebraska, there are issues with anger management, issues with alcoholism, issues with you know, really being a guy who's going to be on board and do things the right way. So whichever team does take a chance on Richie Incognito, if they do, it's going to come with some real deep soul searching as to whether or not they want this guy representing their team. As for Jonathan Martin, he's a second-year player. The Dolphins invested a lot on an NFL scale to bring him aboard from Stanford. He's a second-round draft pick. Now, interestingly, he got switched from right tackle to left tackle this season with the departure of Jake Long. And that didn't work out. He got switched back to right tackle. I think that's a frustrating thing. When I talked to Jeff Ireland, the Dolphins general manager recently, and asked him if he saw Jonathan Martin eventually getting back to being the left tackle. And remember, that's the premier spot on the offensive line. He thought that that was still something that they would try to develop in the future. But that was before all of this hit the fan. That is why I wanted to play this for you. This is a typical shoddy journalism opinion. Bell stated, Incognito's career with the Dolphins is over. That is a direct quote. How can you be so sure, Mr. Bell? After all, the evidence has not come to light. Nothing has been proven. You just have one voicemail that has been released to the public by Martin's representatives, and it has been taken out of context. There are different stories for different situations, and Bell is not listening to the other side. I'm going to say something very controversial right now. One wonders the attitude that Jarrett Bell would take if this was a white man being bullied by a black man. But that's not the case here. It's vice versa. And Bell has strictly taken the fact that incognito is wrong. And Bell is proclaiming that Incognito is guilty immediately without hearing the entire story. We have not heard anything from Jonathan Martin as of yet. Keep that in mind. 
Now, Bell also is using the Dolphins' position switch on Martin from right tackle to left tackle, then back again to right tackle as part of the problem, saying that it was frustrating. Now, this is the type of media reporting we've become accustomed to. Lackluster. Lazy. No get up and go. It's shoddy journalism, people. Let someone else go get the story. How many offensive linemen in the history of professional football, college football, have switched positions, have moved from one side of the ball to the other, have played on offense in college and then played on defense in the pros? Switching from right tackle to left tackle, yeah, it, it's difficult. But it's not something that you're going to lose your mind over. And for Bell to say that this is a reason for Martin to go off the deep end, that's just irresponsible. You know, we're going to sit back and give an opinion. That's what reporters think now. They're not going to go out and get the story. They're going to sit back and give an opinion and crucify someone before all the evidence is in. Now, the Dolphins have undertaken a review of what is going on. And so has the NFL. But, again, the NFL is doing what they normally do. Commissioner Roger Goodell has appointed Ted Wells. And who's Ted Wells? He's a prominent New York-based criminal attorney. Now, he's going to direct an independent inquiry into the team's workplace issues. According to Goodell, Mr. Wells will conduct a thorough and objective investigation. He will ensure that we have all the facts so that we can address the matter constructively. That's what Goodell said in a statement. Now, again, look what the NFL has done. They've hired an attorney to investigate. Not an investigator, an attorney. And what does an attorney do? The first thing they do is they try to set things up the way they need it to go in order to protect themselves. And the NFL has hired Wells, who's an attorney, to protect whom? The NFL. Now, Major League Baseball... Everybody wants to complain about baseball and Bud Selig, but give Bud Selig credit. They hired an investigator to go in and investigate this biogenesis scandal that happened in Florida. Goodell always turns to attorneys to protect the interests of the NFL. He's not interested in finding out the truth. He's only interested in protecting the NFL. This is not a time to protect the league. This is a time to crawl through the muck and the mire and find out the real story of what's going on down in Miami, something the media isn't intent on doing. Now, Dolphins coach Joe Philbin, who is taking the heat for only speaking from a prepared text and not speaking from his heart, exactly what Goodell did, but Goodell's not being criticized, said the team would take all the necessary measures to, mix any, to fix any problem revealed by the investigations. Now, Philbin is only doing what everyone else is doing, and that's hiding behind corporate lawyer shells, protecting their pocketbooks. This entire scenario, what's going on, this dilemma in Miami, goes much further than bullying, goes much further than racism. It goes much further than rookie hazing. It's the ugliness of personal treatment, but also the ugliness of professional journalism. We need to expect more as a society. 
What happens in a locker room is like Las Vegas. It stays there. Because inside that locker room, camaraderie sets in. The camaraderie of teammates. Having the back of your teammate. Having each other's back. Being able to rely upon your teammates. And that brings apart a team if it's not adhered to. Now, I'm not saying that Richie Incognito is innocent or guilty. I'm not saying that Jonathan Martin is wrong. What I'm saying is that no investigation has been done. No real reporting has been done. No story is here other than a pair of football players. Offensive linemen on the Miami Dolphins are no longer on the Dolphins team. And nobody except those two knows the real reason why. Anything else is pure speculation. And speculation is not journalism. Well, there is an NFL game going on tonight, despite what's happening in Miami. And that game will be in Minnesota, where the Minnesota Vikings will be entertaining the suddenly resurgent Washington Redskins. This game is overshadowed by the college action going on tonight, but it's a very important game to the Redskins' playoff chances. Brian Billick examines this ball game from Fox Sports. Very interesting Thursday night game where you have the Minnesota Vikings hosting the Washington Redskins. Now, you may have been dismissive of the Minnesota Vikings until you saw them play so well against the Dallas Cowboys, particularly in the fact that it was in Dallas. Washington saved its season, so to speak, last week. RG3 coming up real big. I still worry about the defense of the Washington Redskins. We saw that the Dallas Cowboys, even though they knew they had to do one thing, stop Adrian Peterson, that they could not. He had a big game, and the Dallas defense actually made Christian Ponder look good. I think the Dallas defense is better than the Washington defense, so I think RG3 in that offense is going to have to clearly outscore the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, I think RG3 is back to the RG3 of old. I'm going to take Washington in this ballgame. Now, here's a look at the rest of the Sunday schedule. The Cleveland Browns are off, by the way. Hey, Jason Campbell got the Player of the Week award, Offensive Player of the Week award in the AFC. Good for him. Here's what's happening. Here's the 1 o'clock games in the NFL on Sunday. Cincinnati will be at Baltimore. That's a big ball game. You know, I think Baltimore is going to upset Cincinnati in this one, and that will help the Browns out in the AFC Northern Division. Detroit will be at Chicago. Now, it is expected that Jay Cutler will be back for the Bears, of course, after the game that Luke McCowan had on on uh, last week. Of course, Cutler is going to be back. I'm going to take the Lions in that ball game. I think the Lions will win on the road. Philadelphia is at Green Bay. Of course, Aaron Rodgers is out. It's going to be Seneca Wallace, the quarterback of the Packers. Boy, I've got a tough time picking the Packers in this ball game, but I'm going with them. St. Louis will be at Indianapolis. I got the Colts in that one. Seattle at Atlanta, take the Seahawks. Oakland will be in New York to take on the Giants in a couple of disappointing ball clubs. And to be honest with you, I think I'm going to take the Giants in this one. Jacksonville will be at Tennessee. I've got the Titans winning that one, and Buffalo will be at Pittsburgh. Expect the Steelers to beat the Bills in Pittsburgh. Now, here's a look at the 4 o'clock games. There are only three of them. Houston will be at Arizona. Denver will be at San Diego. By the way, I've got Houston beating Arizona in that ball game, even though Gary Kubiak will not be coaching. It's Wade Phillips who's taking over for Kubiak after Kubiak suffered that mini-stroke 
on Sunday night. Denver will be at San Diego. This is the first game that the Broncos will be playing without John Fox as coach, and it will be Jack Del Rio being their interim head coach. That's at San Diego. This is a big game in that AFC West, but I'm going to stick with Denver in this one. And also another big ball game, Carolina is at San Francisco. The Niners are back, but the Panthers are playing some great ball. And Brian Billick from Fox Sports tells us that he's excited about being at this ball game. Well, I'm lucky enough to have a big game this weekend where the Carolina Panthers are going to go into San Francisco to take on the 49ers. Now, I can't think right now of two teams that are playing more physical, that are playing better on defense than these two. It's going to be a slugfest. You've got to love what Carolina's doing in terms of their run defense. Their secondary is a lot better than people are giving credit for. Captain Mudderland, Mike Mitchell um, on the back end are getting turnover after turnover. Offensively, they're running the ball so effectively, and they're just getting better. They just got Jonathan Stewart back last week, so they're going to have a healthy stable of backs with Jonathan Stewart, D'Angelo Williams, Mike Tolbert, and, of course, Cam Newton to throw at this defense of the San Francisco 49ers. And we know the 49ers coming off a bye have kind of refound their formula in terms of running the ball and playing good defense. Colin Kaepernick, what he can do from the pocket versus Cam Newton and what he's going to do in that offense led by Mike Shuler, the offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers, it's going to be worth the price of admission. I think it's going to be a good game. I think it'll be entertaining, and I think the Niners will win. And the Monday night game, it's Miami and all their troubles at Tampa Bay and all their troubles. So just call it the Troublesome Bowl on Monday night, ESPN. I guess I'm going to go with the Dolphins in that ball game. Next week, the big game of the week, Kansas City will be playing Denver. As we do each and every week, it's time for our The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly segment here on tonight's Ultimate Sports Talk Show. And it comes from right around the corner here from the beautiful and palatial Ultimate Sports Talk Radio Network Studios up in Rittman, Ohio, where I've seen this happen throughout the years on ESPN and Fox Sports, but I've never seen it happen in person. And I was actually able to see this happen in person last Friday night. It went on during the Waynedale Golden Bears regular season high school football finale, a 49-6 win over the Rittman Indians. And it was a fait accompli for Rittman because they've had a rather controversial football season. We're going to get into that in just a second as we go through our good segment for the night. But let's turn this thing over to an article written in the Sunday Worcester Daily Record by Aaron Dorkson. Because, quite honestly, I saw it in person and it was a tearjerker then, and I may not be able to get through this in this segment tonight. With less than a minute to go in the season finale for both Waynedale and Rittman, the spotlight and the football were given to Rittman senior Michael Hallowell, a six foot five, three hundred pounder with autism, who was seeing his first varsity action of the year on the drive. For the first few plays, Hallowell had lined up at left tackle, and the PA announcer congratulated him even for a good block. Indians New coach Lane Knorr used his final timeout to set up a handoff from quarterback Matt Evans to Hallowell, who ran at 31 yards with 22 seconds left for the most heartwarming touchdown anyone in Indian Stadium is likely to ever see. A Rittman assistant 
actually had to run over to Waynedale's sideline just prior to the play and ask Waynedale Golden Bears coach Matt Zerker and his staff if it would be okay, to which Zerker responded, we were already thinking the same thing. Mike deserved that. He's played football since the seventh grade, and he went to every practice this year, said the father, Alan Hallowell, who, along with his wife, Kim, greatly appreciated the way the Rittman community has supported their son over the years. That lit up Mike's life. We were crying, and the people in the stands were crying. One guy was shaking my hand, and it took about two minutes until he could talk to me. I can't thank the Rittman players and coaches enough for making it happen. It was their idea, and Waynedale showed a great amount of class to do it. Big Mike has what is termed high-functioning autism, but still has delayed language and communication skills. Very few students with his condition have been members of a varsity football team, but since Mike has been in middle school, his parents have believed that being part of the football team would help with his social skills that would help improve his quality of life as an adult. Mike uses behavior to communicate more than words, but his speech was plain and clear after scoring for the Indians varsity team. I finally got to do something I've always dreamed of since I was a little boy, and that was make a touchdown, Mike said. Now here's the reason it was such a fitting ending to a tough year for Rittman High School football. They were 1-9 this year, 0-7 in the Wayne County Athletic Conference, and they have had at least one serious injury almost every week and finished winless in the WCAL. Their head coach, Bill Dennis, and his son, Blake, had to leave the team after week eight due to the controversy surrounding a poem in which junior player Nick Andre wrote criticizing them, which was reported nationwide. However, Big Mike continued to go to each practice, and many classmates who have grown to respect him deeply as teammates since seventh grade were in the huddle for the extraordinary touchdown. As I said, I was there. I saw it. It was great. It was classy for both schools, Rittman and Waynedale, both coaches, Lane Knorr of Rittman and Matt Zerker of Waynedale. And if you walked out of that stadium that night without a tear in your eye, there was something wrong with you. And if you want to, you can look this up on YouTube. Just look up Big Mike's Touchdown on YouTube or Rittman High School, and you will see it. Mike Hallowell, our good on the good, the bad, and the ugly segment for tonight. The bad, the Houston Astrome was a technological marvel when it opened in 1965. It was dubbed the eighth wonder of the world. It was the first domed and air-conditioned stadium and became Houston's defining landmark, a symbol of the city's can-do spirit. But eventually, bigger and sleeker stadiums took its place, leaving the iconic structure that once hosted both professional baseball and football games empty and dilapidated and its future in doubt. And on Tuesday, the voters spoke. They rejected a referendum that would have authorized up to $217 million in bonds to turn the Astrodome into a giant convention and event center, and now the stadium is likely to be demolished. While some supporters who attended an election party Tuesday evening in an exhibition hall across from the Astrodome 
vowed to continue fighting for the stadium. Preservation groups who had championed the referendum said there really was nothing more that could be done. Really, the last time that the Astrodome was used was during the hurricane in New Orleans where they housed some people that had to come over to Texas just to be able to withstand the hurricane. That's the bad. Houston voting against the Astrodome. And the ugly? Really not sure if you could classify this story as an ugly segment. The football season will be the last for an Oregon middle school coach determined to hold a team victory bash at Hooters, the restaurant best known, of course, for its scantily clad waitresses. Well, Randy Burbach, who concluded a successful season at Corbett Middle School near Portland, will not be invited back to coach next year after he refused to change his team's victory party location despite complaints from parents, according to the school district's athletic director. Bolinat said that he asked Burbach, a volunteer coach who has paid a small stipend for his role to change the location, but Burbach said that he gave the kids an opportunity to pick where they would have an end-of-the-season party, and they picked Hooters. And since they had worked hard all year long and had one of the most successful seasons that a 7th and 8th and ninth grade team had ever had at that Oregon Middle School, he was determined to hold the party at Hooters. I can tell you, I've got two boys, and when they were in middle school, we took them to Hooters also. Uh, you know, there comes a time where kids have to grow up, and we complain about how kids have changed throughout the years, but it's nice to know that 7th, 8th, and ninth grade kids still have the same thing in mind. And that's it for our good, the bad, and the ugly segment for tonight. Let's move into college basketball on tonight's Ultimate Sports Talk show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Well, let's continue on now with our college basketball preview and taking a look at the conferences. And to do that, let's move on to Doug Gottlieb of CBS Sports. He's going to preview the SEC basketball conference this week. I predict Kentucky will be the best team in the SEC, or at least the most talented team. We'll see if they're the best team. Willie Cauley-Stein's back, so is Alex Poitras. But it's the additions of Dakar Johnson, Julius Randle, Andrew Harrison, Aaron Harrison, Harrison Twins, that really have people perking up their ears and thinking, could this team go from winning a national championship to losing the first round of the NIT to Robert Morris to winning another national championship? The answer is, yes, they could. But the answer is going to be in whether or not they have the chemical makeup, the chemistry, the cohesion. The Harrison Twins are seem to be very, very talented, but are they winners? And will they buy into helping make others better, not just each other better? That's kind of all you need to watch. And they need better perimeter shooting, better defense, and need to be locked in on winning for Kentucky. And the NBA will take care of itself. A lot of talent there in the bluegrass, but no real veterans to speak of. And they had that when they won the national championship two years ago. Florida, I think, will be a chasing school, a team that has some veterans around. Veterans like Patrick Young is still back. Eli Carter, of course, transferred in from Rutgers. And then they get Casey Hill, a freshman. Chris Walker should be eligible by semester, and he's a tremendous talent for Billy Donovan. I think Florida is going to be formidable. Remember, they've made three straight Elite Eights. Year four? It's a possibility. 
Missouri has Jordan Clarkson, a transfer from Tulsa, who is a first-team all-conference USA point guard and is a tremendous talent. You add that to Jabari Brown, who's back for a second year, a third year in college basketball. And I think Missouri will be better than some people predict. Marshall Henderson's back for Ole Miss. That gives us entertainment value, although he lost many of the pieces around him last season, which means more shots. And then keep an eye on Tennessee. Remember, Jarnell Stokes is back. Jerome Naiman coming off a knee injury, but should be 100% by the time they start the season. And they get Antonio Barton, who can play right away a transfer from Memphis. So the SEC is fairly top-heavy. Kentucky, talent-wise, is the team to beat. But are they the team to beat? For that, I don't really have a prediction. Well, we'll find out because, number one, Kentucky will be opening up their preseason schedule tomorrow night. They're going to entertain North Carolina, Asheville. That's Friday night. Now, let's take a look at the rest of the Friday night games around college basketball as things are really starting to heat up. It will be Florida entertaining North Florida. Maryland will be at Connecticut. Miami of Ohio goes to play number 21, Notre Dame. It's St. John's at Wisconsin. Wisconsin's always a tough team. They're always hard to play. Massachusetts Lowell will play at Michigan. Duke entertains Davidson. Illinois State will be at VCU. Now, also on Friday night, Syracuse will host Cornell. James Madison will be at Virginia. McNeese State will be at number two, Michigan State. Louisiana Monroe is at number five, Kansas. Southern goes to number 17, Marquette. Now, Mississippi Valley State will be at number eight, Oklahoma. Number 12, North Carolina will host Oakland from Michigan. It's Colorado at number 25, Baylor. Drexel will be at UCLA. They're 22nd ranked. And Arizona will be at Cal Poly. They're Arizona number six. And I was remiss in telling you that that game between Drexel and UCLA will be the first game for Steve Alford as head coach of the UCLA Bruins. That's a look at Friday night's action. Now, just a few games on the slate. For Saturday, here's what happens on Saturday in college basketball. Number 19, Oregon, will be at Georgetown. Ohio State opens up their preseason schedule. They're going to be at Value City Arena, and they'll be taking on Morgan State. Emporia State will be at number 16, Wichita State. Alabama A&M at number 23, New Mexico. Bryant will be at Gonzaga. And rounding out the Saturday schedule, Charleston will be at number three and defending national champion Louisville to take on the Cardinal. And on Sunday, just a couple of games. Matter of fact, Kentucky playing another game on Sunday. They will be entertaining Northern Kentucky. And then on Sunday also, it is Stetson at Notre Dame as the Fighting Irish opens up their schedule. Well, a couple of Oregon basketball players have been suspended for, guess what, selling shoes. Imagine that, considering that Nike is one of the biggest Oregon sponsors. Dominic Artis and Ben Carter have been suspended, and Doug Gottlieb from CBS Sports explains just what happened and if the punishment was fair. Oregon sophomores Dominic Artis, DA as he's known, and Ben Carter will be suspended for multiple games, including Friday's season opener in Seoul, South Korea, when they take on Georgetown for selling gear in a violation of NCAA rules. Apparently they got Oregon-only Nike basketball sneakers and sold them for profit. They've since apologized, but they won't get to travel to Seoul, South Korea for this game. 
Dana Alt, head coach of Oregon, is not covering this stuff. And the guys who are punished are the rest of the team because they don't have two of their best players. You know, Dominic Artis is their best guard. I mean, he, he got hurt last year. That's why he only averaged eight points a game. But he would have averaged about 15 points a game had he not gotten hurt in this half the season. Uh, and Carter is, is giving away minutes. He was working for a starting role. And they don't get a trip to play on a U.S. naval base. It's an incredible experience. So I actually think this is the appropriate punishment. They, they made a mistake. They're going to miss a couple games. They miss a trip of a lifetime. They made a mistake. They missed a couple of games. Missed the trip of a lifetime to Seoul, South Korea. Boy, that's a place that I want to go to. Call AAA. Book me a trip to Seoul, South Korea. Let's talk to them right now. Maybe we can run into Dennis Rodman over there. You know, what's funny is these two guys received more punishment than the Oregon football team did in paying a recruiting agency $25,000 for steering a player to them. Now, imagine this. These two guys must have sold these shoes for a buku amount of money in order to make sure that the NCAA didn't give them a lesser amount of penalty. So they're being suspended for the trip to Seoul, South Korea. Meanwhile, the Oregon football team got off scot-free so that they can be battling for a national championship. That's what the Ohio State players did wrong three years ago. They should have really upped the ante on those gold pants and gotten more tattoos rather than just settled for one tattoo. That's what's going on in college basketball. We're going to continue our college basketball preview next week when we take a look at the Pac-12. But, of course, the Major League Baseball season is over. It's all over. We've got about 145 more days to go before opening day, which next year will be March 31st when the Dodgers and Arizona Diamondbacks go to Australia, the land down under, to open up the baseball season. But after the World Series was over, there were four jobs, managerial jobs, to fill. And they were all done this week. And today, the Chicago Cubs ended the speculation when they officially hired Rick Renderia to be their new manager. He succeeded Dale Swain, who was fired after a 96-loss season. Now, with Renteria's hiring, all five managerial jobs that opened since the end of the regular season have now been filled, four of them by men who have never managed at the major league level. Those four men are Brian Price of the Reds, Brad Osmus of the Tigers, Matt Williams with the Nationals, and now Renteria. Only Lloyd McClendon, the new Marlins manager, and the only African-American to be Man, to be named manager this year, has been a big league skipper before. And he was fired by the Pirates in the middle of the 2005 season. And for the last seven years, he's been the hitting coach for the Detroit Tigers under Jim Leland. This wave of new managers is part of a larger trend that dates back to the end of the 2011 season. Of the 17 times teams have changed managers since then, not including their interim hires. The new hire has had less major league managerial experience than his predecessor 13 times. Of the four times that he did not, two of those successors, Bobby Valentine and Ozzie Gann, were fired after a year on the job, suggesting those teams miscalculated significantly. 
Now, 12 of those 17 changes have resulted in younger managers, and 10 have been first-time managers at the major league level, and that includes Brad Osmus of the Detroit Tigers. Imagine getting that job, your first major league managerial job, and you're expected to walk in there and win a World Series next year. And since new Tiger manager Brad Osmus has never managed a game before, no one really knows too much about his managerial style. So Osmus explained what it would be at the press conference yesterday announcing his hiring. Uh, this is a very exciting opportunity for me. I, uh, I'm well aware that you don't generally get dropped into a situation like, like I will be this coming season with a team like the Detroit Tigers have. Um, very rarely is there a managerial change when a, a team is coming off a postseason appearance uh, or an AL, ALCS appearance. And uh, uh, I understand I'm very fortunate. Uh, that being said, I'm, I'm not taking anything for granted. No details will be glossed over, and I'm, I'm not assuming anything going into the job. I think something I bring uh, as a manager that an older veteran manager didn't, wouldn't have is the fact that I was just playing the game three years ago. Um, I'm not that far removed from the players. I have a, a pretty good understanding uh, of how the locker room dynamic is. Um, you know, three years ago I was inter in intermingling in, in the Dodger clubhouse with 20-year-old Clayton Kershaw, 35-year-old uh, Manny Ramirez. So I, I have a pretty good feel, I think, of uh, what the, the modern-day player, what the makeup is, what the mindset is. He better have a very good thought process with this ball team. Because what you've got is you've got Miggy Cabrera, Prince Fielder, Victor Martinez. You've got all these guys, Torrey Hunter, Austin Jackson. This is a team that is expected to win the World Series. These guys respected and loved Jim Leland. Now you've got a rookie manager walking in, and he is going to be expected to work wonders. This is a great job to have for Osmus, but it is a nightmare of a job to have for Brad Osmus. This should be very interesting. And keep in mind as to what the New York Yankees are going to do. There's a lot of rumors coming out of Cincinnati during the hot stove league that they are interested in trading for Brandon Phillips. And the Reds are hot to get rid of Phillips. So keep an eye on that, especially a deal that may be going down with Milwaukee where Phillips could be going to the Brew Crew, and in return, the Reds could get Ryan Braun. Just see what happens there during the general manager's meetings, which are coming up the first week in December. And that's going to do it for tonight. Hey, Oregon, Stanford, go Stanford. Oklahoma, Baylor, go Oklahoma. Those are the games tonight, and go LSU on Saturday as they take on Alabama. And that's going to do it for me tonight. Thanks for joining me here this evening on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. So glad to have you along. My thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening here this evening. Join me again next Thursday night at 7 o'clock when we talk more about the world of sports. Enjoy the games tonight. Call in sick tomorrow. I'll talk to you next week at 7. I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good weekend, everybody, and good night.